Today, Pastor Javen continues our series called Authentic Christianity, where we will see that a life surrendered to Christ is a life that serves Christ's purpose. So take a moment now and prepare your heart for today's service. I'm going to read Philippians 2, 3 through 8, and it reads as follows. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for only your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Thank you, Jesus. And I love a good impersonator. Uh, if you if you're an impersonator that can mimic someone's voice, but not just their voice, but their mannerisms and their actions, and it I mean it appears to be that person. That's impressive. I love a good impersonator. We started the series last week called Authentic Christianity. And basically what we're saying in this series is we do not want to be people that just impersonates being a Christian. We want to truly follow Christ. We want to give our life to following him and being what he has called us to be. And so we said that we follow Christ because we believe in Christ. I mean, believing in Christ is important. Having faith in who Christ is, the fact, believing that, that Jesus Christ came as the son of God, that gave his life on a cross, that was resurrected for our salvation, for, for, for our victory over sin and over death. That is important. But because we believe that, we follow. We believe and we're saved, but because of that, we follow. And to follow Christ means that we put, first, we put Christ first in our life. To follow Christ means that we serve the purposes of the kingdom of Christ. To follow Christ means that we build one another up. To follow Christ means that we ourselves carry our own cross. And so this is what we're looking at. And we started last week with the, the fact that we put Christ first. We said last week, every day we wake up, Every day we live, we want to live that day with the mentality. You remember it? If you were here, if not, it's okay. I'm going to tell you. But first, Jesus. That's the mentality. It's simply that. But first, Jesus. That's got to be our our mantra every day that we live, that he is first. To make Jesus important in our life, that's awesome. That's great. Jesus needs to be important. But he's got to be more than important. He's got to be first. He's got to be of first importance in our life. And our love for him has to be first. And this week, what I want to look at is to follow Christ, to surrender our life to Christ means that we serve Christ. We serve the purposes of the kingdom of Christ. And we serve the church of Jesus Christ. We serve Jesus, right? That's what it's about, being a part of a follower of Jesus. This text that George read to us this morning, this was a text that that Paul wrote to the church of Philippi. And he wrote this to them and he gave them a powerful visual in this letter of who Christ was and what he called his church to be. Okay. So let's break that down real quick. Let's look at that and what he called us, what he called us to right out of the gate. Paul challenges the self-centeredness of our life that we often carry with us. You know, I mean, there, there is a self-centered nature within us and he calls that out and he exhorts us to walk in humility. He exhorts us to, to consider others over ourselves. 
And self-centered, we know what self-centeredness is. Self-centeredness is this, this idea that, that you look out for yourself, right? It's the idea that you look out for your needs. You look out for your desires. You get what you think you need to get and what you want in your life. It's, you know, it's what we tell people. I look, I do me, you do you, boo. That right? That's, I mean, that's how we, we live our life because you, you take care of yourself because who else is going to take care of you? That's the mentality of the world, right? That's the mentality of the culture. You got to look out for number one, take care of yourself. So how do we know if we're self-centered? Are you breathing? No, I'm kidding. I mean, that's, that's a joke. But, but there's a nature in us that, that, that we're prone to think of ourselves first. And, and one of the, I've used this as an example before, but I think this is a great test to just see, to, to just see, do we battle with self-centeredness? When you take a group photo, who's the first person you look at in that photo to determine if that picture is a good picture? Yourself. More likely than not, you're looking at yourself. And if you're taking that picture and someone's like, I'm going to post this picture, right? You're going to say, wait, 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 wait. I need to look at that picture. Because if I don't look good, I don't care how you look. If I don't look good, you can't post that picture, right? You can look at ratchets all get out. I don't care. I got to look good, right? I realize that's not the full test of self-centeredness. It's not the thermostat of it. It's a good barometer though, right? I mean, we all, we all battle this in our life. And it's our inability oftentimes to take our eyes off of ourselves. It's our inability to take our eyes off of our needs. It's our inability to take our eyes off of our desires that hinders us from completely serving Christ and what he's called us to do and to serve others and to consider others over ourselves. There's a couple of things that I believe can, can really help us overcome self-centeredness in our life. One of those is kids. Having kids can really help you overcome self-centeredness in your life. And this is why, because when a kid is born, they don't cry about your needs. They cry about their needs and they've got a lot of needs and you cry because they cry so much about their needs, right? And then you start taking vacations with your kids and you go and you realize vacations aren't vacations anymore because vacations is all about entertaining your kids, right? If you want a vacation, then you and your wife got to get a getaway, from your kids to have a vacation, right? I love my kids, but they know we go on vacation. We have fun. I like to have just as much fun as they like to have on vacation. And, and, and I know a vacation is a good vacation if I come back tired, but my kids and my family enjoyed the vacation. You know why? Because if that happens, then me and Jenny and I have served our family well. We've served our kids well. And that should be the goal. That should be the goal in our life to serve one another well, almost to the point where we tire ourselves out. Serving each other's well. And that's a good way, but really the best way is to contemplate the gospel of Jesus Christ, to contemplate who Jesus Christ was. And that's what Paul is reminding us about. That's what Paul is encouraging us to do because it's only in Christ that you've got the satisfaction and the security to be able to take your eyes off of yourself and your needs and your desires and put them on someone else. It's only in Christ that you can completely do this. And Paul says, you don't need to do anything out of self-centeredness. You don't need to do anything out of selfish ambition. You don't need to do anything out of selfish gains. Translations say it in different ways, but he's also, he's saying the same thing. It's don't be driven by self-seeking pursuits. Why is he saying that? He's saying that because life is bigger than only what you can attain for yourself. Paul's telling us life's life has greater meaning when life is not about you and your needs. And he says, don't try to impress others. Don't seek the glory 
that comes from others because that glory is useless. Paul is saying you deserve better than the glory that you get from others. In fact, he's reminding them of what Jesus taught his disciples and what Jesus taught those who listen to him teach. Jesus told us, he said, if you're doing it all just to seek the glory of others, then you're going to miss out on the glory that comes from God. Now, does that mean if someone gives you glory or praises something about you or compliments something about you that you've all of a sudden lost the glory that God? No, what he's saying is, are you seeking it? There's a difference. What are you seeking after? If you do what you do in order to just get noticed, in order to just get the praise from other people, if that's why you're doing it, you're missing it. You're missing it altogether. You deserve more because the glory that God can give you through that is far greater than the words of a man or a trophy or a plaque or a ribbon (laughs) or your name in the paper, right? Or a thank you letter. It's bigger. It's bigger than that. And he shifts his perspective. Paul shifts their perspective. He tells them, look, he says, you've got to be humble. You've got to consider others over than yourself. Most historians observe, many historians observe that the Romans and the Greeks, who were the prominent of those outside of the Jewish nation and those following Christ after Jesus, Romans and Greeks were the big prominent ones around them. Those, Those cultures, they had no word for humility. They had no way to express what that means. That mentality was a foreign concept to them. To be humble was to be weak. That was, that's what that expressed. You're a weak person if you, if you make yourself humble. In, in the early centuries of Christianity, pagan writers, they were said to have used the Greek word that Paul uses in this letter for humility. It's a long word. I'm not going to try to pronounce it. But they would take that word and they would use it in their writings. And when they would use it in their writings, it was often used in, in a derogatory way and often against Christians. Because in their mindset, that type of humility, that is a pitiful weakness. But what Paul is doing is what Paul is doing is reminding the church and he's reminding everyone who reads this letter that this is exactly what Jesus taught. This is exactly what Jesus demonstrated. In fact, before Je- the, the, right before Jesus was entering into Jerusalem and, and they were on their journey, they were about to enter into Jerusalem to prepare for the week ahead, leading up to his death and his resurrection. His disciples were arguing on that journey. Many of you know this story. They were arguing, you find in the gospels, they were arguing who's going to sit at the right hand of Jesus and who's going to sit at the left hand of Jesus. Because in their mind, they're like, okay, this is what's going to happen. He's the Messiah. He's going to overthrow those who are oppressing the people of God. And he's going to take his throne and he's going to reign. So somebody's got to sit to his right and somebody's got to sit to his left. And we want to be the top dog. Who gets to sit there? And they're arguing over that. And Jesus turns to him and he says, guys, you're you're thinking about the wrong thing. He says, you know, those around you, the Gentiles, they lord their authority over others. And when he, when he said that, when he talked about the Gentiles, they would immediately begin to think about the Romans and the Greeks, because that's the culture that was around them, that they saw this happening all the time. He said, you see, they take their authority. They lord that authority over others. He said, not so with you. That's not what you've been called to. And he says, that's not what I've come to do. He said, if you want to be great, that's the reason you're arguing. Your whole argument is about selfish gain. That that argument is for self-seeking purposes. And Jesus says, you you want to be great. Here's what you do. You you serve. You serve. That's how you become great to others. And then he says, in fact, 
He said, the son of God, me, he says, Jesus, he, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. It's the whole reason I'm here is to serve. And then Paul tells us, he says, you've got to have that same attitude. You've got to have that same mindset. In other words, that same understanding. You've got to think that way. You've got to seek to be that every day. You've got to strive for that every day. That's got to be your mindset. And, and Greek scholars who understand the Greek language, when they look the way this language is written, they're saying Paul is not making a suggestion when he writes this. Paul is writing this in a, as a command. He's commanding them. This is a commandment. Have the mind of Christ. Have the same attitude as Christ. Basically, he's telling them the same thing he wrote to the church of Rome. And he's saying, you've got to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've got to change the way you think about your life in relationship to others. If you're going to follow me. Because see, Paul knows that the only way that we can carry that mindset out is to put ourselves in Christ and to follow him. But we also remember the words of Jesus and other teachings of Paul that we are not doing this on our own. Jesus told us, I'm going to give you someone to live this life with you, to walk with you. Paul talks about this someone over and over throughout this letter who has come to empower us, and that is the Holy Spirit. We are 100% responsible to have this attitude, to have this mindset. But we are also 100% dependent upon the Holy Spirit, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, the empowering of the Holy Spirit in our lives to be able to walk this out and to carry this out in our life. So we take on that mindset of Christ. What was Christ's mindset? He goes into great detail to explain to us what Christ's mindset was when he walked on this earth. He said, though he was God... He existed, and some translations say he existed in the form of God. He did not consider equality with God something to cling to, something to hold on to. A couple of things in in this. When you look at the word existed, that word that Paul uses there is broken down. There's two parts of it, broken down in the Greek that literally means to begin under and then to exist. To begin under and then to exist. It's a state of continuing to be that which once was before. So what he's saying is Jesus is continu- he existed in the form of God. He, can, he is continuing to be that which he was uh, from the beginning and what he's always been. And we see this backed up throughout the Gospels by, by Jesus Christ himself and by those that walk with Jesus. We looked at it very, very briefly last week. John said that Jesus Christ existed before the beginning of creation. He was a part of the very beginning. Jesus Christ himself said before Abraham was, I am. Right? Jesus said, you've looked at me, you have seen the Father. Paul echoed those words of, the, uh, uh, of, of Jesus, the words of the gospel writers. And he said that he is the image of the invisible God. He's the visible image of the invisible God. He says that he is the firstborn of all creation. So that means that Jesus Christ from the very beginning was, while he was here on this earth, was. And after his resurrection, he still is God. He exists as God. The thing that throws us off when we read this is we see this form. We see that word form because our word in the English language, the word form, there's only one way to say it. It's actually used two times in this gospel, but I'm going to show you it's two different words. But that's because our English language only knows one, form. And we think of form as in the external shape that changes throughout 
time. We know that our form has changed. My form has changed. When I graduated high school, I was a buck 15. I'm not a buck 15 anymore. Right? My form has changed. Okay. I got married. I'm fat and happy now. Right? I mean, it's, that's life. Right? But that's what we think about in form. That's what was, that's what we, what we, what we, what we see in our mindset. The word that he says when he talks about the form of God, that's the word morphe. That form in the Greek, that form in the Greek is that it is an outward display of an inner reality. It's a form that never alters. Now he's going to use later, he's going to say he took on the form of man. That word form is the word schema. That is a word that means it's an outward appearance that changes from time to time, from circumstance to circumstance. That's the form that can change, that form of man that Jesus took on. But it's important for us to notice, too, that he took on the likeness of man, Paul says. He didn't take on the exactness of man. He still had a divine nature. He did not have a sin nature. He was tempted, but he overcome temptation. And he never sinned. He had no sin nature. He had a divine nature. Because that's who he was from the beginning. That's who he was while he walked on this earth. And that's who he is after his resurrection. He is God. And then Paul tells us, that he gave up his divine privileges. You may read a translation that says he emptied himself. He stripped himself of his divine privileges. He, he stripped himself of the expression of his deity, but he never stripped himself of his possession of his deity. He was always God. In other words, you can think of it this way as, as if a, a king and a kingdom, he took off his royal garb, his robe, his, his crown. He took all that off and he took on, put on the clothes of a peasant and he went outside and he sat outside by a, by a temple gate or by a wall or somewhere. He was still king. He just took on the appearance of a peasant. This is what Jesus did. This is what Paul is saying that he did. But you notice the form and the expression that Jesus took on. The way he chose when he walked this earth, Paul says the expression that he demonstrated was he expressed himself in the form of a servant. That's how Jesus chose to express himself to the world around him. He released glory and notoriety that came with being king. And he embraced humility that came with being a servant. He became someone who surrendered his rights to the will of another. And that's what being a servant is. That was Jesus' mode of expression. And if we're to follow Christ, if we surrender ourselves to Christ, our mode of expression every day we live should be a mode to say, how can I serve others? There's one instance in the Gospel of Matthew where we see Matthew record a time when Jesus went up on a hillside and he took Peter and James and John with him. The rest of the disciples stayed back and we saw what has became known as the transfiguration. The Greek word there is metamorpho. Basically what happens is Jesus takes this one time that he changes his mode of expression. And his mode of expression in that moment was to fully display his glory as God. And Peter and James and John, they all see it. And Peter's like, hey, we need to stay here. We'll build some houses. 
We're going to camp out. Forget the other dudes, right? We're just going to live right here because you're expressing your full. This is who you are. We want to be right here. And Jesus says, no, this is just for a moment. I've got to put my expression of a servant back on. And he's telling them, he says, he's telling us, this is the mindset. Paul's telling us this is the mindset that we've got to live with. But here's the beauty of it. When our mode of expression in our life is that of a servant, is that of someone who wants to put others first ahead of our own selves, when that is our mindset, then we express the glory of God to those around us when we do that. That's the beauty of it. And that's what Paul is reminding us of because that's what Jesus encouraged his disciples, those that followed him to do. We're going to go to John chapter 13 real quick. I want us to see. This is the night before the greatest act of service that Jesus did for all of humanity. When he went to the cross, when he died on that cross, in his resurrection, the greatest act of service he did for us. This was the night before that. And it's in this moment, I believe, that Jesus displays a beautiful picture of service to his disciples and to us. And I want us to see it. John chapter 13, start at verse 1. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave the world and return to his teacher or to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. And now he loved them to the very end. Some translations say he showed them the full extent of his love. I love that thought. What he was about to do for them showed them the full extent of how much he loved them. It was, it was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon, this Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had become, that he had come from God, and he would return to God. See, this is the divinity of God on display. This was his divine nature. He knew that his hour had come. He knew he had all authority. He knew that Judas was about to betray him. How did he know these things? Because he was God. But yet, even in that nature of knowing God, watch the expression of a servant that he takes. Many of you know this. If you don't, listen closely. He got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around himself. And when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. In other words, you don't understand how powerful, how important. You don't understand the expression of what this means. But one day you will. No, Peter protested, you'll never ever wash my feet. Why? It's not a thing of pride. It's a thing that Peter was just trying to honor who Jesus was. He was honoring. He had seen him in his full display as God. He was honoring his divinity. He said, you know, you can't do this. This is a too low of a place for you. That's Peter's mindset. But Jesus says, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. And Peter's like, give me a bath. He said, Peter exclaimed, wash my hands, wash my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who's bathed all over does not need to wash except for their feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. 
But after washing their feet, listen to the words of Jesus. He put on his robe again and he sat down and he asked. He established his status as teacher to them. And he said, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and you call me Lord and you're right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and your teacher have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Listen, do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves or servants are not greater than their master, nor is a messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. even in the nature that Jesus Christ had as God. Even in that nature that he displayed in one moment to Peter, James, and John. Even in his divine nature, he got up from the table, he took off his robe, and he put on a towel, and he served. He visually demonstrated the releasing of his status by taking off that robe. And taking on a status by picking up that towel that he knew was going to make the greatest impact in their life and in our life. And that was one of, of a servant. And look back again at what he told him, verse 17, the very end of what we read. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for what? Doing them. God will bless you for knowing it. God blesses you for doing it. God blesses you for doing it. God blesses you for following him in the ways that he has called you to follow him. In this moment, in this statement, Jesus is immediately separating the difference between knowing something and doing something. He's saying, you know it, that's great, but it's not just about knowing. It's about doing. Jesus said, look, you call me master. You call me Lord. You call me your teacher, your rabbi. That's great. That's who I am. You think I'm a big deal, Jesus says. And I am a big deal. But that's not why I'm here. He said, you want to be a big deal? No, don't seek status. Seek to serve. Go wash the feet of those around you. Go serve others. Humble yourself to others. That's what he was saying. That doesn't mean you have to carry around a, a tub and a basin and a rag and you're looking, can I, who, can I wash your feet? Can I wash? Maybe God calls you to do that. No, he's telling you, humble yourself. That's what he's called you to do. Humble yourselves to others and serve them. And he says to do it, even if the people you serve end up being a Judas in your life. You think about that. Jesus washed the feet of every individual in that room. And one of those was Judas. But not just Judas, Peter. Peter would deny him, and Jesus knew that. Most every man in that room that he washed the feet of would end up running and hiding when Jesus was arrested. But Jesus washed their feet anyway. He washed the feet of these men who knew he knew was going to run and hide because he knew one day those same feet would carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to those around them. Jesus saw past who they were in that moment, who they were going to be when he was arrested. And he saw what they would do for the kingdom of God. 
And that's what we do when we serve. We don't, we don't look at who someone is and determine whether or not they're worth our service. We serve. We serve them despite the problems we see in their life. We serve them despite the issues they have. We serve them despite what they might have done to us. We serve them despite the pride they may carry in their heart and in their life. We serve because we know what God can do in someone's heart. And we know how Christ has served us. And we know the impact that God's plan could have on their life when a life is surrendered to Christ. But I love the imagery of where it says that Jesus got up from the table and he took on a towel. And here's the reason I love that imagery. Because it's our desire to stay, to stay seated at the table that keeps us from receiving the full blessing that God has for us. We want to stay seated at the table. There's nothing wrong with being seated at the table. There's no, in other words, there's nothing wrong with being fed. But Jesus says sometimes we have to get up from the table. He doesn't want us just to seek a seat. He wants us to seek to serve. That's the goal. That's the heart that he's called us to. But we, 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 have a, we have a place in our heart where we become so satisfied with just being pleased by what we receive that we forget or we miss that we please God when we serve others. That's what he's called us to. Look at the way Peter said it. First Peter chapter four, verse 10, a very simple statement. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Who has he given a gift? Each of you. I mean, Peter, he's writing this to the church that's scattered throughout. And he's telling them, every single person that reads this letter, and that now includes us, each of us have something that the, the Holy Spirit has gifted within us an ability in order to use that ability to serve others. And he says, use it well to serve one another. Use it, don't, not use it well to build your platform. Not use it well to, to get your name posted somewhere. Not use it well to establish something great. Use it well to serve one another. Why? To build the kingdom of God and to grow the kingdom of God. Every time that we get to serve in any area of our life, any role of our life, it is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to be like Christ. It's an opportunity to humble ourselves. It's an opportunity to to serve others, to put others ahead of ourselves. It's an opportunity to express the glory of Christ every time we serve. So when, when we're, so it's not like I don't, it's not, we go in with the mindset, well, I've got to serve. No, we go in the mindset every day. I get to serve. I get to serve. And you can, you can take this mindset into your career with you. Your career can be your calling. Should you, it, it should be looked at as this is my calling. God has called me here. He's placed me here. I am serving the purposes of the kingdom of God in this place. I had a teacher talk to me after the service, after the first service. And they was like, man, if, if we all went into our occupations with that mentality, understanding we're serving the people that we're teaching and we're serving the people that we work with, then we understand it, it's not a matter of what class these people are in. We serve each other equally because we're serving Christ. We put each other's needs ahead 
wrong. That should be our goal in every aspect of our life. To serve in whatever role God has called us to. And before you get the idea and you think that, well, Javen has taken this message to pull us into a place, to manipulate us, to serve in a role in the church. If you think that's my heart and that's my goal, then I would just simply say, don't serve here because you, that's, you have an, an understanding that that would be wrong. That would not be a right, pure goal. I say the same thing when I, when I talk about giving and finances. It, we should never, I, I never talk about that with the goal of getting people just to give here. And if anybody ever thinks that's my goal and my purpose for talking about it, then I say, don't give here if that's what you believe my goal is. Same thing as service. Don't serve here if you think that's what my goal is, is just to get people in spots. Listen, I want you to understand the blessings of God. And his word speaks that there are blessings when we do those things. We just saw the words of Jesus that said, blessed are you when you do this, right? And in fact, I don't want people just to serve this church. I want this church to serve this community. I want us to be a place. That's why I mentioned what we did last night. It was one way that we serve our community. We, we, and, and we're not just doing it. We understand we are a small part of the kingdom of God within our city, within our county, within our state, and beyond. We're small. We are a fraction. And so we, we partner with other churches and we serve in different ways. We serve, serve through Love, Serve, Give. Or us and three other churches take Sundays throughout the month to serve the hungry and homeless on those evenings because the other organizations in our community are closed on Sundays. So the church fills Sunday. We take the first Sunday of the month and we do that and we serve and we, 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 we serve in that way. We've got, an, uh, we serve with an organization called Sacks of Love with, that's with an association in our community to pack bags, to send home every weekend to kids that may not have food on the weekend. And we do that as one church in our community taking one school. To serve, we partner with. Pastor Caleb has been working in this past week with uh, with the River Church, the youth pastor of the River Church. And they've had a door open up to be able to get into uh, uh, into Camden Middle School on Late Start Wednesdays to be able to to send men in who are able, who have that time slot open, and maybe you're one of these men who have that time slot open to go in and teach young guys skills that every man needs to know how to change the oil how to change a flat tire, how to do different things that men need to know, right? Not to discriminate against women, but just good for men to know these things. Are they open going in to teach the gospel of the school? No, because they can't. But does it open a door for them to have a relationship to maybe share the gospel? Absolutely. But we want to love our community. We want to serve in our community because we're blessed to be able to do that. But I do believe that God has a place for us to be planted in a place where he can use your gifts to work through them in his house in whatever body he has you planted a part of. I want to look at the words of Psalms and I want us to see this principle from the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 92, verse 12. But the godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon. How? 
for they are transplanted or planted to the Lord's own house. They flourish in the courts of our God. I realize that this is written well before the New Testament church and the church of Christ was started. I get that. But this is a principle that we can take in, in relation to the church. When you are planted in, then you can produce. When you're planted, you have the potential to grow. When you're planted, you can thrive. When you're planted, you can multiply. When you're planted, you can produce fruit. When you're planted, you can bless others by what you produce. When you're not planted, you become dormant. When you're not planted, there's no way for you to be productive. You can't produce. When you're not planted, that means you're unfruitful. There is a blessing that comes from being planted. And there's a massive difference between going to church and being a part of a movement. That's why we don't want to just be a church that people come to. We want to be a movement. We want to be a part of the movement and the mission of God where he has called us and where he has planted us as a whole and as a body. There's nowhere... When we look through the New Testament and look at the church, there's nowhere in that where the church is about getting what you can get for yourself. It's, it's more than, it's, it's nowhere in there that it's about just sitting at the table. It's not just about consuming. It's about producing. It's about putting on a towel. It's about finding a way that we can serve. And I, this, this is not uh, meant to condemn in any way, because I can in no way know everything that you do and anybody that's a part of this house. I can never know all. The pastoral staff can never know all that you do to serve the kingdom and the purposes of God outside of this house every day of, our, of your life. We, we can't know that. We've got uh, every week, we, we've got people that are on this campus. When you look at our numbers, we're right at 400 every Sunday on this campus, continuing to grow. That's an awesome thing. When you look at our list, there's like from our relationships, what we know from that list, there's 600 people that call this church home. That is awesome. We're believing God's going to continue to use us to grow. That's fantastic. There's no way though, when I say that, there's, I say that to say, there's no way that we can know all that you do to serve Christ. This is not meant to condemn. This is meant for us to just see the words of God and how we're blessed. We look, we've got over 200 names on our list of people that we know that serve through this body in this church and in our community. That's great. But that doesn't mean that we don't have room for more. (laughs) We know there's people that have gifts within them that they can utilize those gifts to serve areas of the church and they can serve the community. I mean, we always can take people to, to pour into children on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights. We need that. We never have enough in that realm. We want people that can help us to take take the word of God even further online, beyond just Sunday mornings in our online service, to do things online. People that have the gift to be able to edit, the people that have the gift to, to know how to, to produce those things and, and put them out. We want to do more because we want to get the name of Christ out, not Bethel Worship Center, not a pastor's name, the name of Christ out, and share the story of what God can do in people's lives. And we want to bless our community. We want our community to know we're for them. Random acts of kindness are phenomenal. 
In fact, we've, I think we might need to order more. We've had cards out in, our, out in the hallways and in the lobby for years that, that say you matter on them. And the point of those was for people to take and to do some type of random act of kindness and leave that card so that people know you matter. You matter to God. You matter to us. But as awesome as random acts of kindness are, what about just in our life purposefully participating in in specifically scheduled opportunities to serve the purposes of God? Francis Chan wrote in his book, Letters to the Church. It's a powerful book if you've never read it. Very challenging, very convicting by looking at the church around the world, not just in America. And he writes these words. He says, don't you see the weirdness in calling people Christian when they aren't servants? He said, I know we can't force people to serve, but there, there has to be something we can do. Because no team puts up with players who refuse to contribute. No army puts up with soldiers who don't carry their own weight. Why do churches continue to put up with Christians who refuse to serve? Why don't we treat selfishness as a sin that needs to be confronted? If scripture commands us to serve one another, isn't it a bit strange that we give people a free pass? I don't, again, that's not reading with the hopes that it condemns you. I read that for us all to be challenged. That every day of our life, if we're following, listen, this is a challenge to me because I am just as guilty of wanting to put my needs ahead of others. It's to challenge us to say, no, Javen, you are a follower of Christ. And to follow Christ means that we carry the mindset of others ahead of ourselves and humbling ourselves because that's what Christ did for us. That's what Christ did for us. So it gives us something to think about. What about you? What about your heart? How is your heart to serve? Do you have the attitude of Christ? Do you carry every day the same mindset? Christ? Do you see the times that you do serve as an inconvenience or do you see them as an opportunity? Is it time? Maybe is it time to get up from the table and to take up a towel and to serve? We want people to love coming to church at Bethel. We want people to love being a part of the church. But even more than that, we want people to engage with the church in serving Christ and serving the purposes of the kingdom of Christ all for his name and for his glory. You can stand with me this morning. We're going to end just because of the nature of this message today, we're going to end in a very simple way. We want to do everything we can to help you find a way to serve. If you're serving, that is awesome. We, we're so grateful. If you're serving in this house, we greatly appreciate your service. You're, you see every day in your career as an opportunity to serve. We're praying that you do, and God uses you in that. You're serving in the community. We, we pray that you continue to do that every day, blessing this community with your heart to serve. If, you're, if you feel like maybe you haven't got up from the table and put on that towel, we want to help you. If it's just in your job, we want to help you begin to see how your job can be a calling. If it's, if it's to find a way to serve in this community, we, we want to help you do that. If it's to find a way to serve in this house, we want to help you do that. 
So I just encourage you to come to talk to one of us. You can go online to that website I showed you earlier, bwccandon.com slash info. And you'll see a box that says volunteer opportunities. It's there because we want to help you find a way to serve, to experience the blessings of God on your life. Because blessed are you when you do this. Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. And first and foremost, Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ who came to this earth to serve us. And his greatest act of service was giving his life on a cross to die for us and for our sins. He gave us life. He gives us victory over sin and over death. And so, Father, I pray for anyone in this room today or someone that might watch online that has not experienced that salvation power of Jesus Christ, that today would be a day that they receive the gift that you have given them, that they receive forgiveness, that they see the act of service that you have done for them. And they express today, they express today their belief in you as Savior of their life. And as they do that, they, they follow you as Lord of their life. Today would be a day of transformation for them. It's a simple acknowledgement of you as Savior and Lord. So I pray they take that step today. And God, for all of us, I pray that we see the way that you came to serve and that we hear the words of Jesus Christ. We hear the reminder of Paul that blessed are we when we do this. When we, when we get up from the table and we take up a towel and we serve. God, I pray that you would help us to see the ways that you have called us. The Holy Spirit is the gift that Jesus Christ has given us to empower us, not just for our own good, but to be a blessing for others through the gifts of the Holy Spirit working through us. So God, help us to see today the way the Holy Spirit wants to work through us so that we can serve one another. Father, I pray that the place that you have for us to be planted in, the body of people that you have called us to, to be planted in. God, I pray that you would lead people to that body. We're praying and believing that people in this room or people online, that we can be that place, that they can plant themselves and be a part of serving the purposes of the kingdom of Christ. So I pray that they would find that and they would, and that we can help them find that best way to use their gifts. But Father, if it's not our body, if there's another body that you have for them, God, we pray that you would lead them there. I am never praying for people to leave this church, but I am praying that you lead people in their life and you direct them to the place that you have them to best be used for you and your glory and for your kingdom. So God, we pray that every day and we pray that you would help us to see the ways that you have called us to serve, the opportunities that we have to serve you in our jobs, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our community, in our church. Help us to see the blessing that we can be and that we're truly blessed when we do these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you. So I say again today as I end this service, just like every week, go be catalysts for transformation and serve the kingdom of God.
If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccanvin.com, go to our contact page. You'll find the link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.